Lucifer Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. For all things comics, movies, media, music, and more, check out the Cage Club Network. That's cageclub.me. The Dawn of X has been an amazing era for the revitalizations of names, characters, concepts, and properties that the X-Men have lost to time. One of the most successful rebrandings has been Marauders. A predominantly successful rebranding has been X-Force, or Excalibur, depending on where you're standing. However, today we're going to be discussing X-Men's most recent rebranding, and that would be the revitalization of the use of the word Hellions, to go from meaning a team full of kids that we want to see redeemed to a bunch of people we wish would burn in hell. That makes this We Are Krakoa. I'm Nico. I'm Dylan. I'm Kyle. I'm Regina. And I'm Jonah. And we hope you survive this experience. Kind of like those humans that Havoc messed up. Yeah. Okay. So like, I, I know I'm being way negative on this issue, but like, I promise I'm not exclusively way negative on this issue. I'm just mostly negative on it. Today, we're going to be discussing Hellions number one, because Marvel's still in a bit of a slowdown pace with producing comics. As a matter of fact, they've announced that they're going to use this time to get ahead on books, because what many people don't realize is that the comic industry is usually working up to, like, the deadline. If the books need to be at the printer at 10 o'clock Friday night, they usually get there at 1130 Friday night. So this is one of those situations where maybe this will yield something positive. However, that means there's not a lot of news to discuss coming out of the X-World. So, without further ado, let's jump right in to Hellions number one. For Hellions number one, our creative team was Zeb Wells as the writer, Stephen or Stefan Segovia as the artist, David Curiel as the color artist, and VCs Corey Pettit as the letterer. And together, they made issue one, Let Them Be Snake. I want to open this up with Kyle. This had to test the very patience of your, like, super amazing, kind, good, you know, white mage monkness. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um... Oh my goodness. Um where where do I begin? Not even an oh boy. <laughs> this is bigger than an oh boy. Where do I begin? These characters make me very unhappy. And I don't blame you. I mean, these are chiefly villains. Chiefly. Jonah, a number of these Yeah. Jonah, a number of these villains are also new to you. Yeah, I've never met Scalp Hunter, Nanny, Orphan Maker, or anybody else here except for Alex. So this was also kind of like a homecoming for you, Dylan, as you are the king of the Hellions. Yeah, I'm kind of waiting for your negativity of the issue because I really loved it. Fascinating. So then, of course, that does bring us to the last page. And, you know, that last page was just made for you, Regina. It really was. <laughs> 
she's awesome. I'm thrilled to have Madeline Pryor back. After a lot of near misses with her, where there was the Madeline Pryor who turned out to be Queen Jean in X-Men, or it was Madeline Pryor's involvement in the sisterhood in Matt Fraction's early Uncanny X-Men, this is a really cool opportunity for who should be a major player villain to rise to a major playing field. The Hellions seem to be representing the kind of dark underbelly of the X-Men. And Dylan, I'm so excited to hear that you enjoyed it so much. I can say my main reason for not enjoying it is I'm very tired of the convocation issue. I don't need 22 pages pulling the team together. I think you can do that in three pages nowadays. There's no reason to stretch this out that far. Dylan, what was it about this issue that had you so excited? Well, I I do understand the not wanting to have an entire book of that, but I mean, we are in the new dawn of x where every mutant lives on an island and we've been mentioning here and there since the dawn of x book started that how are we going to have all of these mutants on one island and all of them get along with each other and we have had the things here and there like with apocalypse in excalibur and sinister in fallen angels but those have only been like the two or three pages and it still didn't resolve anything. So to have this entire book showcase like seven or eight different individuals and bringing them together kind of towards the end, I, I think that this entire series is going to be that. So I think if you already hate the first issue of it, the rest of the issues are going to be exactly that. And I think that we need a book that showcases all of that because we have bad guys living on an island with good guys. So there has to be a book about it. And I would love that book if it had a plot. I felt very much like this issue had no plot. It was just calling a bunch of bad guys together. Now, the bad guys in question are, of course, X-Men mainstay nowadays, Quan and Psylocke. We have eternal bad man, Mr. Sinister, as well as some of his, I don't know how to put it, progeny, like Scalp Hunter, who is a marauder, or a classic marauder, as it were, or Havoc, who... If you're a Summers, in some way or another, Mr. Sinister has dangerously bad touched your genetics. I thought you were going to say genitals. (laughs) Well, I tried to find a nice way to hint. We have a number of classic X characters like Nanny and Orphan Maker, Wild Child from Alpha Flight, Empath, and it's just... I don't know. I I even loved the last page. Like, I did. And I love any time that Sinister is like, you know, but it just didn't feel worth the last page for me. Regina, I know that you are like, you know, Queen Regina. That is who you are, right? You're Goblin Queen Regina. So having Madeline show up in the last page was super what you're about. Did you feel the rest of the issue earned that? Or how did you feel about the way she interplayed into this issue? So... As I have expressed before, I really feel that Madeline is actually a hero and they need to return her to her badass roots. She was a freaking pilot and she kicked ass with the X-Men with no powers. And I really at some point (laughs) would like to see her get back to that. But that said, I loved the last page. The art in this book was so beautiful. I don't know that I would have expected to see her, which of course is the last page is your hook, right? It's going to make you want to read the next book. Definitely seeing her on the last page makes me want to read the next book, but I kind of was like, how the hell did we just get here? (laughs) But with that said, when I first read it, I read it like the day after it came out. It's kind of like cotton candy. 
Like I partook of it and then I was kind of empty. And then I went back and reread it because I was like, I don't even remember what it was about. <laughs> yeah, it was, I, I'm totally with you. But once I did reread it, it started to come together for me personally. I am not a fan of Nanny. I just can't with her. <laughs> nope, but nope, cannot. I do think that some of the things that were produced in this book were really important things to touch on. And I would like to see them a little bit more. I really think the way that empath was handled specifically, that is a great thing to bring into this world. Like how do we handle people like that or mutants like that who have powers that have basically twisted them and they are using it against other mutants in such a negative way. And he likes it. He's a freaking sociopath. Is that something that's fixable? And then when we see Wild Child a little bit later, um, they've been dosing him and he's been like my puppy and hiding his pills underneath... His kennel, basically. <laughs> but that is something that people, especially mentally ill patients do. And I thought that was something really important to bring into this. I don't know that it was handled successfully, but I did think that that was something that could be brought into this book and hopefully will be addressed again, given the way that all of the characters kind of have things kind of twisted and turned and how do we address these specific problematic mutants? I did not think the way that Havoc got on this team, I didn't like that. I did not like that at all. But that's just my opinion. And that's kind of where I stand for right now. Hey. <laughs> A hundred percent agree with that Havoc statement. They spent quite a long time in previous runs dealing with Havoc's inverted morality and resolving that to the point where Emma had actually gone into his brain and fixed it. And all of a sudden now he's having side effects again. And I, I just... I thought we were done with that whole storyline, and I'm kind of annoyed that it's back again. The last thing we need is to bring Rick Remender back into the X-Men. So, uh, I have a new favorite character I'd like to add to my list. I kind of love Empath. But okay, well, it's a couple of things. One, because if I was a mutant, that's the power set I want, like, along with the intangibility, but I can't ask for two because that's just being greedy. Because there's a lot of things you can do with it, and you kind of see it with Empath that it can make a really great villain or hero. You can shut down a lot of fights with it or you can start a lot more so already you hooked me on with a character that i'm like yes i want this power set and then he's this basically the sociopath who would tell people really mean degrading cruel things and they'd be like we love you and i'm like yes this is a great villain so he'd uh, make an excellent drag queen he basically is a lot of this book though felt again with the current run of dawn and dawn of x it feels like a lot of books are starting with hey this entire issue is set up and is that a bad thing no but it takes a while for the ball to get rolling and there are some characters here I don't particularly care for, even if they were the first introduction for me, like Nanny and Orphan Maker. I, I can do without them. And I can probably do without Wild Child. I actually just met Wild Child for the first time in Alpha Flight. So that'll be fun to see how he went from a kind of ugly dude who is fully there to where he is now. I don't think there was anything particularly cool about this book outside of maybe the ending of seeing Madeline Pryor. But like you just gave us in the last page for something to be excited about. It's like, well, I feel like a lot of this setup of like call to action of all these villains probably could have even been cut out and it just have been the first mission with Madeline Pryor there for some doing something. I definitely agree with like a little bit of everyone as in, like Dylan. 
I really hear what you said about we need a bad guy book, and I agree. I just didn't necessarily need these bad guys. Like, I can't stop naming villains I would replace Nanny and Orphan Maker with. Like, I literally can't stop thinking of better bad guys. Leper Queen. Love to see her. Oh, well, she's human. Fine. No Leper Queen. Fine. I don't know. Anyone else. Literally any fucking one else. Nanny and Orphan Maker are like, you know when you go to 7-Eleven like real high at night and you're like, I just need candy. And they're inexplicably sold out of all the ice cream you want and all the candy you want. And you're like, fine, I'll get this thing. And you're like, I had the candy. It wasn't a fulfilling experience, but I had it. That's Nanny and Orphan Maker in this book for me. I mean, we just re-rescued Reagan. Yeah. From, yeah. Like, why didn't we? Mastermind me. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of like, um, yeah, Nanny and Orphan Maker have never done it for me. They're never going to do it for me. Stop trying to make them happen. <laughs> No, I mean, one of the most fulfilling moments of my life was seeing Nanny get her egg cracked in Gen X. I, it's probably going to kind of go against what Jonah said, but I think, <laughs> I really like this book. I don't know why, but I I think we needed as many pages as we needed to describe these characters like Scalp Hunter and Orphan Maker and Nanny because, like Jonah said, most of the first issues of the Dawn of X books have been an introduction, but this has to be an introduction to characters that no one knows, especially if this is a starting point, if Dawn of X is a starting point for people. We haven't mentioned these characters like Scalp Hunter and Nanny and Empath to new readers, so they need to have these pages. I'm really happy that we had the empath pages. I was a little confused, mainly just because I forgot what empath looked like when he was first introduced in New Mutants comics. When he was introduced in New Mutants comics, he looked like this, but then as the years went on, they made him dark-skinned and black hair, so I was really confused for a second because I thought they whitewashed the character, but when he was introduced in New mutants years ago he actually looked like this so i almost got angry for no reason but i'm happy that we got to see other hellion characters like cat's eye and tarot and roulette i wanted to also mention that since i tend to be a stickler about what uniforms characters are wearing once again i feel like we've seen angel in a couple of other books and every book he's in he's in a different uniform well, I mean, he's mad wealthy, so he just keeps uniforms on uniforms on uniforms. It's just stacks on stacks on stacks of uniforms. And I'm happy that, once again, I feel like Dr. Reyes has been in every book. So, of course, she makes her appearance in the first issue of Hellions as well. She's in a uniform that they've tried to make happen for Cecilia over and over again. So I'm happy that she's actually in a uniform and not just like a doctor's coat. But it's not like she's leaving the island to go on missions. So I don't know why she's in a uniform. I think they just want to really cement her into the X-verse before she appears in New Mutants. I have kind of secretly always liked Scalp Hunter. He seems to be one of the original marauders besides Sabretooth and Gambit that Marvel has actually tried to give depth to. I feel like none of the other characters or marauder characters have given have been given backstory like him. So I'm happy that we get to see even more of him. I don't know if it's just my attraction to muscly Native American men, but I'm happy that he's in this book. <laughs> but one thing I'm not happy about with Scalp Hunter is the weird 
relationship that I think they're trying to give him and Wild Child that makes it seem like they're trying to replace Age of Apocalypse Sabretooth and Wild Child's relationship it, with Scalp Hunter and Wild Child. And I'm not sure I care for that. I think that's probably the place that most people remember Wild Child from. So, yeah, desperate bid to make Wild Child important. Okay, I will say that the one time that I enjoyed Orphan Maker was when he was kicking Beast's ass. <laughs> and there was blood. That is a fair point. And it was great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. Oh, now Kyle's okay with violence as long as it's against Beast. <laughs> Beast has been a jerk lately. For like 15 years Professor now. Professor <laughs> McCoy is a jerk. Time means nothing at this point. <laughs> One of the more interesting things about this lineup is that with the exception of a single character, every one of these characters in this title was created between 1983 and 1989. Only one member of this lineup is not from a very specific period in time. As a matter of fact, only one of these characters wasn't featured in Uncanny X-Men during that time. So it's almost like this Hellions book is specifically a nostalgia title for a very, very specific era. And I can't help but think how well it complements Marauders. But before we can get to that, I want to play one of our famous little games and find out a little bit more about the Hellions, the these Hellions, and other teams that were like them. So, of the current lineup that we've discussed already, who is the only character not created between 1983 and 1989? Havoc. Havoc. That one was an easy one. Havoc first appeared in Uncanny X-Men 1950... Oh, wow. wow. Uncanny <laughs> X-Men 54 in 1969. He debuted in March and would go on to be a recurring character for the rest of the run. Of course, this group has some tricky things to discuss about them. Which character was the next character to be created of the characters in this title? Mr. Sinister. I'm gonna go with Sinister. Yeah, Sinister. I'm sort of ashamed at two of you, because you're current in X's for podcast, so you guys should know that Madeline Pryor already exists. Oh, <laughs> oh. She had that honk honk hang dong scene, remember? Honk honk. So, um, you know, Maddie was second, though I do understand she's kind of a hard character to talk about. Madeline, as we know her, did come about in Uncanny 168, April 1983. However, this version of Madeline, this magically powerful, scary lady, she didn't make her first debut until Uncanny X-Men 243 in September of 1988, which does, however, still fit our window. Now, the next character to be introduced was introduced wordlessly just months after Madeline. Which character of the Hellions was the next to be introduced? Is it Empath? Yeah, Empath. I'll agree with Empath. Going with the majority. So I'm double ashamed at the same two of you because you just read his first appearances in Alpha Flight. Wild Child oh, yeah. wordlessly debuts in Alpha Flight number one in August of 1983 and has his first dialogue in Alpha Flight number 11 in June of 1984. When you said that you hated this book because there was way better characters that it could have had, I, I agree with that now and it should, you know, would give a better trivia 
Yeah. <laughs> we should have had Flashback on this team. Oh, or Bach. The next character to be introduced was introduced the same month as Wild Child's first dialogue. Now, this character has a unique distinction as they are the only character to be in multiple iterations of this team. Okay, that is Empath. Yeah, absolutely. I wasn't going to make that one hard. There's just no way. Empath was introduced during the Secret Wars event. While Kitty Pride was not drawn into the Secret Wars, she remained on Earth with the New Mutants who ultimately wound up over at the Massachusetts Academy, introducing Empath in New Mutants 16 in June of 1984. So here's where things get a little bit tight together. The next character introduced was introduced in what's known as sort of the famous year of comics. Now, the famous, the big year of comics was 1986. And in October of 1986, this character was introduced for a massive X-Men event. It was the first ever X-Line-Wide crossover. Can anyone name the character and the crossover? I think I know the answer, but I don't know the crossover part. Okay, well, share your answer, Dill. No. (laughs) Share with the class. Oh, you're going to go last and make us all look silly? (laughs) I knew that the whole time. I wasn't going to say anything. (laughs) Okay, well, I can't think of it. I feel like the answer is Quanin. Yeah, that's what... No, that's not the answer. It is... (laughs) I give up. (laughs) Wasn't 86 the Mutant Massacre? Ah, Kyle, Kyle, oh, Kyle. You're, you're so smart, um, Kyle, because that's 100% positive that's the answer. I just didn't know if Mutant Massacre was the actual name of it or not. So Jonah's guess was possibly the cross-time caper, which it is not. <laughs> that is the only crossover I could think of in my mind right now. It is not a crossover at all. It's only in one <laughs> title. doesn't matter. Excellent. I'm going to help you guys out a little bit. Dylan, I completely agree with you that this guy is way too fucking sexy. Scalp Hunter, you really shouldn't like him, but he's too hot not to like. I mean, especially with the art. The art in this book was amazing, and Scalp Hunter looks so good. So can we get rid of Scalp Hunter and bring back a, another Hellion that was a big, muscly Native American man, Warpath, and I would be so in love. <laughs> Well, I'm kind of okay with Scalp Hunter for now. He can chill there as long as he, you know, gets to be a better dude. You know, but if we could just mention, what he did was pretty badass. He did not snitch. And I was like, holy shit. (laughs) Yeah, they actually, you know, I've been a big fan of Scalp Hunter since Claremont's Excalibur on Genosha, where Scalp Hunter showed up for a bit. He was in like seven or eight of those issues. And I actually thought he was really great there. And I've really had an affinity building for the character throughout his appearances living on the mansion lawn during M-Day or his brief appearances in Carrie's X-Men. He's been a really fun character for at least 10, 15 years. Now, unfortunately, this list does not have that many fun characters. The next character to appear took, in many ways, the longest to appear. This character had their debut stretched out over the course of almost a full year. Can anybody name the Hellions character whose first appearance was stretched out over 10 months and three issues? Was it Mr. Sinister? So it's either Sinister or Quantum, because I know it took a while for us to get to her. Mm. I want to say Nanny. 
So this one is going to go to Mr. Sinister. He was first mentioned in dialogue as the guy in charge in Uncanny 212 in December of 1986 before appearing only in silhouette in Uncanny 213 of January of 1987. It wasn't until Uncanny 221 in September of 1987 that he appeared on panel. So with everything we've talked about, so many of these characters appeared directly in Uncanny X-Men first. Who is the only character to appear not in a Claremont penned book first other than Wild Child. So I'm giving you a hint with who are the characters that first appeared in a non-Claremont penned book other than Wild Child. I suck at this. <laughs> so Nanny and Orphan Maker. Nanny and Orphan Maker. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Characters, they go together. Nanny and Orphan Maker. <laughs> They appeared in X-Factor, in X-Factor 30 and 31 in July and August of 1988. You know, I always imagined that they came about earlier for some reason. I don't know why. I, I think a lot of people directly connect them with Nanny, the robot from Magneto's lair in the 90s, 100s, that era. I think people directly connect them with that. And because it's so, they're so silly looking, they've got this sort of like Modokness to them, but it's an egg and it's Nanny and Orphan Maker. And the Nanny that fought the X-Men also regressed their age to childhood. So it's stands to logic that this is, I mean, it's telelogic, if nothing else, that it's either the same character or a similar model. So I really get the confusion, but according to all things Marvel, the two nannies are two separate characters. They're probably sisters. <laughs> I believe it. So... This last one kind of kind of bugs me, but we're going to go with it. The final character to make their first appearance makes it into the 80s by one month. Psylocke is revealed again in Uncanny X-Men 256 in December of 1989. In what year did Fabian Nicieza retcon that it had never been a remolding, but rather a body swap? Oh, 1990... Um, three? Absolutely. <laughs> X-Men 17 in February of 1993 wow. was the first appearance of Quanin in Betsy's body, confirming that the character in Uncanny X-Men 256 was a totally different character. How... <laughs> I just want to run through a couple of things about the Hellions for a moment. The first team of Hellions featured Empath, Cat's Eye, Jetstream, Roulette, Tarot, and Warpath, and would come to feature Firestar, Magma, Beef, and Bevatron. At one point, all of the new mutants joined the Hellions, but that's kind of like another story for another time. The second version of the Hellions were never known as the Hellions in canon, but rather only on marketing material. Dylan, this one's kind of a question just for you. Who was the leader of the first unofficial team of Hellions? Um... <laughs> well, now I'm a little bit confused on if you're talking about the Hellions that had Hellion as the leader, but I don't think you're talking about them, are you? So the first unofficial team of Hellions were led by M-Plate in Generation X. I quit. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> That team featured... Yes, the, I forgot that he had his Hellions team of weirdos for like two issues. He psychically blocked yeah. that because it was traumatizing. 
Yes, um, they are. The names are equally traumatizing. Bulwark, DOA, Lady Gale Edgerton, Murmur, Nocturne, Vincente, and Rap. I don't know about you, but Lady Edgerton <laughs> is a great name. <laughs> Lady Gale Edgerton. Gail? Gail? Real quick, you did just say that all those names were awful. Vincente was an amazing member of that team, but that was it. Oh, he was. No, absolutely. He is one of those mutants where, like, he is fucking wild powerful. I hate that I failed that question. So, you literally... No, you asked you me a question about question a St. Croix, and I should know the answer. I, I have failed the St. Croix name. <laughs> well, I can help you cheer yourself up, okay? So, the Hellions Next had a major appearance in an alternate universe. In the Age of Apocalypse, who are the Hellions stated to be in the service of? Apocalypse? <laughs> absolutely. They absolutely directly serve Apocalypse. And after Apocalypse is defeated, the X-Men hunt them down. (laughs) Fun stuff. So on the subject of alternate universe Hellions, the House of M Hellions were really an interesting group. Now, none of these characters had been introduced at this point for the most part. Can anyone name who led the House of M Hellions? I got this. I got this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do you need to go last for our guesses? I'll go last. Or... I'll go last. I, I appreciate your enthusiasm. My vote is Emma. Um, um, Madeline? What do you think, Dylan? I feel like I can see the image in my head, but I don't remember. Was it Moonstar? And, expe- and ex- especially because of the sounds that Regina Regina's Otto. making. Danielle Moonstar. Ah, sure did. It was S.H.I.E.L.D. Hellion Squad led by Danny. Uh, the team featured the dramatic return of magic, Ileana, who had been missing from canon for a really long time. It also featured Gen X member Sync as well as a number of the characters from the mansion at that point. There was another team of Hellions. This team included Bedlam, Feral, Magma, Paradigm, Switch, and Tarot. But this team was not quite as memorable as the team that would become so popular they would overtake the title they were in. Originally spinning out of the New Mutants Volume 2, New X-Men Academy X pivoted hard from the New Mutants characters to the Hellions characters. This team featured Hellion, Mercury, Rockslide, Tag, and Wither. But it also featured three characters from other arcs. Can anyone name any of the three characters that the team of Hellions featured in New X-Men Academy X One of them is Dust. Included. Yeah, that's what I got. Absolutely. Dust from New X-Men is a member of the Hellions version 4. And I always forget his name because he's the Guthrie that I hate. <laughs> Icarus. Yes. Joshua Guthrie? Yes, it's Icarus. Yes, let's hate him together. Um, wow. Now, this last one is really tough unless you are familiar with a specific title, and I'm going to help everybody out. Before Jason Aaron and Kieran Gillen masterminded a crossover known as Schism, there was an Extreme X-Men arc known as Schism. This is pretty much the best Extreme X-Men arc. It is complicated. It has a lot of nuance. It's a beautiful reflection of what was going on in New X-Men at the time. And there was a character in there who became a ghost after he died at the school. And 
and his codename was Spectre. He turned back up in the second arc of New X-Men Academy X after not having been mentioned since Schism, issues 20 to 23 or so of Extreme X-Men several years earlier. I completely forgot about that character existing. (laughs) I would have never guessed him. You know, I'm kind of convinced he's still just dead at the mansion. Maybe that's why the mansion is back in Westchester. I would be so happy because (laughs) then we don't have to acknowledge Gray (laughs) Malcolm. That character bugs me. (laughs) I also wanted to mention that there were two different takes on bad guy X-Men before this. Now, I think it's kind of funny because they kind of have dumb fucking names, but there was Dark X-Men and X-Men Black. (laughs) (laughs) Dark X-Men ran five issues from January to May of 2010, and X-Men Black ran five issues weekly in December of 2018. Who is the only character to be featured in both series as a main focus? The answer to this is Emma Frost. Yeah, that's that's who springs to mind for me as well. Is it the White Queen? Kyle, any guesses? Um, oh, jeez. I'm trying to, yeah, I think I'm going to have to go with Emma as well. So while Emma is in Dark X-Men 1 through 5, she is not a focused character, nor is she on the team. Emma had been featured in a Dark X-Men miniseries that was a accumulation of stories of X-Men in that era being questionable. The first team of Dark X-Men was introduced the next year in a miniseries which also saw the return of Nate Gray. Rather than the White Queen being the main character in both, the character instead is a shade of blue. Damn it! Mystique <laughs> is a focal point of both Dark X-Men 1 through Damn 5 it. and X-Men Black's <laughs> weekly series. Huh. We covered Hellions, which had a pretty interesting mix of opinions across the board here, where some of us thought that it was really cool and it was really refreshing and interesting to have this full villains book, while others felt it's just falling into the same rabbit hole, if you will, of just being a setup book and nothing too exciting happening. Hopefully, when, when Hellions 2 does get released, it has some really interesting plot points, especially considering it ended on such a interesting note. Kyle, what are we covering next week? Next week, we will be discussing Wolverine number two, and we'll also be doing a review of X-Force. Until next time, though, you can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. Dylan, where can everybody find you? Everybody can find me on Facebook at my X-Men Facebook group that Regina helps me moderate. That is called House of X, or you can find me on Instagram at Warpath underscore Dylan. That is Warpath underscore D-Y-L-A-N. Regina, where can everyone find you? You can find me on Instagram at the Red Queen underscore on underscore IG, Twitter at the Red Queen underscore G, and on Facebook at the House of Goblin Queen. Jonah, where can everybody find you? You can find me telling Scott to fuck off and let the Quiet Council deal with this on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. Nico, where can everybody find you? You guys can find me all over this network multiple days a week, whether it's with these amazing folks on 80s Mutant Mania on Throwback Thursdays, or it's this right here, Modern Mondays with We Are Krakoa. We continue to take a look at the Uncanny X-Men comic book franchise from all angles and endpoints. Don't forget to check out Tuesday's HTML, which I do with my amazing husband, Kevo, where we're currently talking about the Star Wars universe, and we have these crazy people come in and guest star from time to time. Don't forget to find me on my appearances on other shows, like 
Blake Too Fast Too Forever, Third Time's a Charm, and more. You can also look me up over on Instagram at NicoAction, N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N, or on our web portal at WeAreKrakoa.com. And until next time, ladies and gentlemen, keep those Krakoan gateways open. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.